Listener Production. Hello, welcome to the Penny Drops. My name is Maddie J, and today on episode five, we are talking about investing. Maybe you're saving to buy a house. Maybe you're interested in budgeting, or maybe you just want to go on a European holiday, but you only have $28 in your account. Whatever the reason, we're all in this together. So get ready for the penny to drop. Oh, and uh, one more thing before we start. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you're seeking advice for your own personal situation and needs, then I strongly recommend meeting with a professional to get something personally tailored, just like I did. All right, today we are talking about investing. And for me, this is a really important episode because, hey, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of someone who actually knows how to adult properly, that is someone who's got their foot in the stock market. For example, if I'm at a barbecue with mates and someone asks me about my investment portfolio, that is the perfect time for me to pretend like I need to get a new drink. Because to put it simply, I just don't get it. At the moment, I view investing a little bit like The Bachelor. And okay, hear me out. I'll make this make sense. You say you're ready for love, or in this case, to make money. An expert gets on board. In The Bachelor world, that's Osher. And in the finance world, that's um, a stockbroker. And then you have options. Some that you feel will work for you and others you might spend a little bit more time to get to know only to realize they're not quite right. I suppose the only difference is that with investing, you can have multiple investments and lots of things on the go at the same time. Whereas if I was to do that after the show ended, I think it's safe to say Laura wouldn't have stuck around. Now, considering that my analogy for investing is a reality TV show, it's pretty safe to say I need some guidance when it comes to the topic. So today, we're going to find out about how the stock market works and the different types of investments available, understand the steps involved to buying shares and what's required to make a successful investment. In a nutshell, work out how to make our money work for us. Because hey, we worked so hard to get it, the least it can do is earn a little bit of cash for us to say thanks. There are, of course, other ways to earn a return on your money like term deposits, and you should definitely consider what's best for you. Sticking with the Bachelor theme, we're going to catch up with Clancy Ryan. Now, you might remember him when we were on the same season of The Bachelorette. Well, since the show, he's been dabbling in the stock market and actually found a bit of success. But first, we are talking to somebody who is an absolute expert Tom Petrovsky has over 20 years experience analyzing the stock market whilst working at Comsec. Now, having watched him give his Comsec report on the news for many years, I had to start by asking if I should call him Tom or the godfather of investing. Mattias, you're very kind, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would much prefer just being called Tom. I, I can do that. Tom, my, my first question and look, this one does feel like a bit of a silly one. Like obviously, I know about the stock market. I know it's yep. it's been there in the shadows of my life, but I guess I don't have a thorough understanding of the inner workings of the stock market. Can you explain to me, and I know that we don't have all the time in the world, <laughs> but in layman's terms, how does the stock market work? It is just a place where uh, investors... Um, 
or individuals or whatever you want to call them, uh, parties uh, buy and sell shares in listed companies. Okay, so uh, that so I suppose uh, give that gives rise to a couple of questions like uh, the difference between a listed and a and a private company. You know, a listed company is just one that trades on the stock exchange and a private one is obviously, as the name suggests, one that is held in private hands. But I suppose the important thing to consider when you're talking about uh, a stock exchange, as it were, is that this is a regulated environment, right? So by that, uh, I mean that there is effectively an umpire uh, or someone that oversees uh, this marketplace to make sure that it's transparent, that it behaves in an orderly manner, uh, that people are following the rules, obviously, and there are you know quite a lot of rules uh, when it comes to the stock exchange. And those elements all combine to create uh, uh, an understanding, but also a sense of security about you know the, the way that things operate. Uh, and that is really important so that you know people have faith in that structure. You are one of the few people who I've actually spoken to, who do understand the sometimes complicated world of investing. When did you first get introduced to the stock market? Do you recall when that was? Uh, well, look, Maddie, I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit and show my age, but you can't avoid that, I suppose. So I was a young tacker in the 80s. My, my parents had kind of um, spoken about the share market, I suppose, at the dinner table a little bit, but... I suppose, you know, it's pretty obvious that there are fortunes to be made and lost in the share market. And I suppose as a young person, that was interesting. And uh, at the very least, it seemed like an area that you should sort of, uh, you know, become uh, a little more informed about. And then I sort of thought, oh, you know, this might be fun to do as a job. And then it kind of, you know, one thing led to another. And do you recall when you started investing did you have a specific goal that you wanted to achieve? It was pretty simple, uh, just making some money, right? As a young person, you always have very lofty ambitions of financial independence and those ambitions kind of moderate or change or evolve over the course of time. But, you know, that's the idea essentially is that you're just trying to make your life a little easier financially. And now it's far more challenging for young people when it comes to trying to establish a nest egg, you know, just saving money is is very difficult. You know, for the last 12 months, we've been talking about the cost of living continuing to rise. Uh, you know, that's everything from buying a beer to paying your rent. You know, I don't know what uh, tickets cost to the average music festival these days, but I can assure you they were a lot more than uh, the first couple of big days out. Well, Tom, we're, we're looking at close to sometimes $150 for a ticket these days. And that's if you buy them from the vendor. Imagine what they go for on the street. You know, if you're buying them from a scalper, you're probably looking at double that if you're a bit late to the show. <laughs> <laughs> I shudder at the thought, which is, which is why I'm here, because I, I guess I want to make my money work harder for me instead of it just sitting there in the bank account. There is one thing that a lot of people have told me whenever I speak about the stock market is the importance of research and how valuable that can be between the difference between having success or, or not. Could you tell me two or three things that people should be considering when doing their research for investing? Yeah, 
Matty, that's a, a really good point. And look, I'm just quickly going to digress back to that comment about the scalpers, right? So scalpers are an example of an unregulated market, okay? So anything goes. And that's why you should always value a regulated market where there is, you know, some guardrails about uh, what can happen and what can't. But in terms of, you know, what you um, should you know, uh, should aim for in terms of your understanding and things that you should look for, yeah, the one thing that is interesting about the share market generates a lot of gossip, okay, and a lot of, you know, information, uh, some of it good and some of it bad and some of it uh, just uh, outright, you know, you, you, you wouldn't even bother paying any attention to it. So I, that's really the fundamental uh, issue, I think, in many respects. And it becomes more important in today's disintegrated world of information. So in the past, there were uh, very few sources of information and uh, they tended to be, you know, very uh, respected uh, channels where, you know, you'd get old blokes talking in deep voices uh, in really serious tones about what was going on. And you know, that tended to be the news bulletin in the evening. Now there are, you know, so many ways that information can come to you. So it is so important that you are able to distinguish between the quality of, of that input. So what that boils down to is actually, you know, the difference between knowing something and gossip or bits of information, right? So, you know, you hear about research and its need and all that stuff. Research, sometimes people go cross-eyed just at the mention of that word. But you think about all of the things that um, you would do if you were going to buy a new car, for example, or if you were looking at mountain bike on a gum tree or something, you'd be peering pretty deeply into, you know, understanding how many kilometres the car's done, uh, you know, who owned it, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I suppose the approach that you take to looking at a company is a similar sort of process in that, you know, understand what that company does, right? Understand uh, what its position is in a marketplace. Uh, is it a dominant player? Is it growing? You know, uh, is it vulnerable to competitive threats? The other thing is, are you going to get your money back? If you invest in this organization, that's what we call, you know, preserving capital. Is this organization going to grow in value over the longer term? And then uh, on top of that, is it going to, you know, after it pays all of its bills, is it going to have enough money to return some dollars to its shareholders? Uh, you know, they're the sorts of things that you want to be able to, to understand. Would you say it would make sense for me then to start researching into different companies that I'm familiar with? For example, you know, nowadays with two kids, I'm very familiar with baby products. I'm <laughs> also very familiar with social media. Should that be my first point of call? Areas which are, let's say, passion points for me? It's a great point that you raise. And I think, you know, Passion is always a vital uh, ingredient uh, in any exercise. It's what sort of gives you uh, commitment and durability. You know, you'll stick at it if you're, if you're passionate about it. But, you know, you have to be careful when it comes to, to passion points because you can become blind 
to a, a lot of uh, things that should be attracting attention. You really want to kind of um, go and find out about organizations that dominate uh, their marketplaces. So Tom, if I, let's let's say I've, I've found that company, I, I've done the research of that industry, I know that he's a big player, I feel like I'm ready to make that's the purchase of a sale. Are there any other boxes of my investing checklist that I should be crossing off before I dip my toe into that investing world? As much as anything else, Matty, it's a conversation with yourself, okay, in terms of understanding what your own expectations are, uh, making sure that they're well-founded and reasonable in terms of uh, what might happen over you know, uh, the near term, the medium term, the, the long term, right? So understanding what you're prepared to risk because you you should, you know, if you're a novice investor, then you should invest for a longer period of time and then you necessarily have to make your peace with the fact that you're not necessarily going to um, have access to that money for a period of time. Yeah, not unlike when you, uh, when you buy a house, right? It's for the longer term. And then when I am ready to make that purchase, I can't do it myself, can I? I need to have help from a broker. Is that right? If you feel like you're a person that's capable of learning off your own bat, then you know there are plenty of places where you can uh, go and set up an account quickly, pop some money in there, uh, and then you know it's as easy as it's ever been to place an order um, to buy some shares. The the apps now, um, you know, Comsec's got a great app. You can use that. There are any number of providers that uh, will provide an easy to use service. I mean, you you can use a what historically would be called a full service broker, a, t- a traditional broker, where you know, you actually have um, someone pick up the phone and say, "Oh, good morning, Maddie. How are you? You know, um, Wall Street did this last night. Uh, did that." Uh, these stocks moved in this direction and that direction, you know, and um, that's the service, right? They, they ring you up, um, they're proactive, they're informing you about what you um, have told them that you, you're interested in, they understand you in terms of your risk requirements and, and what sort of uh, financial position you're in. Uh, that's the way stockbroking used to operate hi- historically and then uh, it all changed so that it's um, driven by the individual now a, a, a lot more. So you can um, you don't have to wait for someone. You're in charge of your own destiny, which some people like and, and, and other people, you know, they need perhaps somewhere in between as well. I'm definitely one of those people, Tom, who, who likes to have his hand held and, <laughs> and be... Spoon-fed at times. One thing that I'm not sure about is, is is how much. Like I know that when I go to buy a house, it's 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 common knowledge. You know what amount of money you're looking to to spend if you're looking at certain areas. But when it comes to investing, what do you think is the best approach there in terms of monetary value? Well, look, I think the smallest marketable parcel of shares that you can buy, uh, and first up is like five hundred dollars, right? So. The, the sum is actually uh, insignificant, right? And you, know, you can you can buy ETFs, exchange traded funds, for example, um, in increments far smaller, right? We can talk about that in a moment, but I think the important thing is less about the sum that you start with and more about the intention that you start with, right? And then your commitment to it. And I guess it comes back to, to my budget. You know, it's down to, to what 
money I have available to play with after I've looked after all the necessities in my life. Yep. It doesn't matter, I guess, how much other people are investing because it, it ultimately it's, it's what you're comfortable with in your own situation. So true, you know, and, and this is the thing, Maddie, when, when it comes to this questionnaire, it's, it's so important to be clear-eyed and clear-minded and, you know, sober about it. These conversations can be quite colourful in a barbecue setting where, you know, people are telling, you know, stories of how much money they've made and all that sort of stuff. That you, you kind of want to stay a long way away from that um, type of conversation. You know, it's just that quiet conviction and that resolve over a long period of time, right? Um, it's it's focusing on the future. Tom, in my eyes, there's two ways to make money and tell me if this is correct. Number one is obviously selling a share at a higher price than when you bought it and also receiving dividends from the company that you've invested in. Is that correct? Well, that's that's essentially the aim of it, Matty. And like, don't forget that first rule, you know, trying to preserve your capital, right? So rule one is try not to lose money. As the company grows um, and becomes, uh, you know, meets its uh, objectives over the course of the longer term in terms of growing its earnings, then the value of that company rises. So the share price rises. Uh, that's what tends to happen over the, the, the longer term. And uh, then, as I said, after all the bills are paid, you know, the company either uh, reinvests in itself with the with the money left over, or it um, returns money to to shareholders in the form of a dividend. Yeah, so yeah, in in some respects, it's pretty straightforward, I suppose. <laughs> Tom, if there's ever a seat next to you at Comsec that's vacant, let me know. Well, Maddie, there's been a whole floor that's been vacant for about two years thanks to the pandemic. So um... I'm packing my bags as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> so then, in terms of when is the right time to sell that stock? I can imagine myself being a little bit gung-ho of wanting to pull the trigger as soon as that share price goes any higher than the purchase price. When do I know, Tom, when I should get rid of stock? Well, uh, Matty, let's try and raise expectations a little bit rather than just um, scratching your trades. But look, it's, it's, it comes back to what I said about uh, you know investing in quality stocks over the longer term. So, if you've you know you've done your your research, you've invested in a company that has uh, returned money to you in the form of a dividend. The shares have gone up in value. Why would you want to sell something like that? Why not just keep holding it? It's like a good relationship. It's a, it's one of the best relationships, Maddie. If I'm feeling valued, if it's giving me the attention that it needs, why would I want to get rid of that? Up there with marriage. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, I mean, look, obviously. You know, people's financial needs change over you know the, the course of their their life, and you know, you may have been investing with a particular goal, right? And uh, you might want to pay your mortgage off, right? And you've um, reached that point where you think, you know, okay, well, my share investments have gone up now to the extent where I can, you know, pay off my debts and I'll be living debt free. And and that's, I suppose, one of the fundamental aims that you you start your investing journey with is to make your life what you had hoped it would be financially. So you don't have any debt. You can go on the holidays that you want to go on. You want to educate your children, uh, all of those sorts of things. So, you know, that becomes a personal question as much as anything else. There's, there's no right or wrong time. Um, but again, you know, you've put a lot of hard work into this exercise. If you've got a great company that uh, is doing all of the things that you want it to do, then hold it forever. 
You mentioned ETFs and I feel like that's a bit of a buzzword right now. Can you explain to me why that's made investing easier? It's a good question, uh, Matty, and you're absolutely right. Well, it is a buzzword. Um, I suppose it has been for a while and, you know, uh, ETFs, you know, they have grown uh, in popularity uh, immensely over the course of the, the last decade and there's an important reason for that. Basically, you know, there are uh, any number of ETF providers, but what they can do uh, in within this product is that they can arrange uh, shares so that they capture a particular investment theme. So, you know, if you're uh, interested in artificial intelligence or if you're uh, interested in green energy, you know, these... ETFs will, you know, gather the stocks that incorporate uh, that theme and uh, you can just engage in one transaction and you've bought the lot. So that has made it a a lot easier um, than where we've been historically when it comes to that sort of thing because you would have had to, you know, go out into the market and buy each one of those organizations individually. You would have had to manage all of the the elements associated with uh, with owning all of those stocks. But an ETF uh, basically has all of that packaged up and you can invest in an idea or theme in, in that way. But also, I suppose at a far more basic level, the ETF can also capture a market. So, you know, you can buy a, a, an ETF that captures the uh, the ASX 200, which is our own market, right? And then, you know, you've got an exposure to the top 200 stocks uh, in Australia by virtue of owning that ETF. And, and it's a lot cheaper, obviously, if you're just engaging in one transaction rather than having to buy, you know, 200 stocks in the ASX 200. Tom, I'm writing this all down because I can't wait to go to the next family barbecue <laughs> where I can regurgitate this and make myself feel like a real genius on the topic. Well, look, before you head off to that barbecue, make sure that you've got several layers of knowledge so you, uh, you don't go from rooster to feather duster in a short uh, short couple of sentences. I, I can't promise you there'll be several, but at least a couple. <laughs> Sometimes, Tom, it's the first step which is the hardest one to take. How many times did you say that on The Bachelor? <laughs> More times than I'd like to admit. So you, I should start asking you about uh, your experience on The Bachelor because I find that just as mysterious as you find the share market. Well, I was going to say, Tom, if, if if the share market doesn't work out and Osha needs replacing, I think you'd be the perfect fit. <laughs> Middle-aged Bachelor. <laughs> I, I'd watch it. Nursing home bachelor. <laughs> Is there one thing that you now know that you wish you knew when you started investing? It's a great question. I mean, apart from the obvious, <laughs> when I think about my personal mindset as a young person is that, you know, when you are full of youth, you don't realize how close the future is, how how close, you know, 10, 20, 30 years is away. It goes uh, in the battering of an eyelid, right? And you think now today, oh, you know, that's so far away, you know, I'll I'll just live for the moment. You know, it goes so quickly. And I probably wish that I was more, more conscious of that. I was probably, you know, 
um, more likely to to spend things on um, enjoying myself, I suppose, as a young person, which is uh, what goes hand in hand with uh, with youth. But you know, even just pulling back a little bit and being a little more um, focused. Uh, I mean, I, I was always up to something in terms of speculating, but as opposed to investing. Uh, that that was a little bit different. It took me a little bit longer to get to grips with the value of that. It feels like only yesterday I was a young whippersnapper at 20 years of age. Stop it, Maddie! Stop it. You've got uh, you're uh, you're still in the full blush of youth. You shouldn't be talking like that. Tom, I, I've got grey hairs coming through my my stubble, <laughs> and I've got two kids. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, gosh, where did time go? But I think I still have time. I'm 34 and I know that investing is something I definitely want to get involved in. So it's been such a pleasure to speak to someone like yourself who has so much knowledge on the topic. Matty, it's always uh, great to chat with you and thanks for being so generous. It's been a lot of fun. Also great to speak to you because you're someone that I've watched for a very long time on TV, Tom. (laughs) Well... Look, I have done my part to lower Australian broadcasting standards, <laughs> yeah. so I uh, I apologise. But, you know, I've lowered the bar to entry for others, I suppose. Well, I can't wait to speak to you again in, in a little while and tell you who I am investing in. Can't wait. Should be fun. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Maddie. Okay, so we've got the tools. Now we need to put them in action. But where to start? The good news is that not only did I score the woman of my dreams all thanks to The Bachelor, I also scored some pretty awesome mates. Clancy was one of the guys in the season of The Bachelorette I was on, and for someone who's not a professional stockbroker, he seems to have the stock market all worked out. And I know that a lot of people out there will want to know the answer to this question, so yes, I will ask him if he is single or taken. Currently, are you single? Definitely. (laughs) Okay. um, Anything you'd like to say to potential suitors out there who may be listening? Well, currently I've got a terrible beard. So hopefully uh, by the time this comes out, the beard is gone and I look substantially better than I currently do. Lockdown's lockdown's been tough. If there's anyone listening who does fancy a single man in Melbourne who has a fantastic beard, who knows all about investments, Clancy is your guy. Thank you so much. (laughs) For context, Clancy, what is your current full-time job? Uh, So currently I'm an orthopedic medical rep. So I sell and support uh, hip, knee and shoulder replacements. Now, I feel like you're the kind of person that has always been really good with money. Is that true? Uh, I think I've always been really interested in money. I wouldn't say good with money. I think I'm probably better with money now, but I didn't probably used to be as good as I am now. Well, have you always paid close attention to your finances then? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, little things like kind of always checking that I'm getting the best deal in insurance and health insurance and making sure I'm not overpaying for this and overpaying for that. So yeah, I guess maybe maybe that's correct. See, that's where we're different, Clance. <laughs> it's, for me, it's whatever's right in front of me. Whatever is the, the lowest hanging fruit from the tree is the one that I'll pick. Hey, you can save 20 bucks a week here, 20 bucks a week there. It all adds up, mate. No, too hard. Too hard, Clancy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You also, you're a homeowner. Yes. uh, I bought a property back in Brisbane maybe seven, seven, eight years ago. That's quite young. Uh, Yeah. I I think I worked hard, um, like you said, 
relatively frugal with my money. So yeah, worked up, uh, saved a deposit and yeah, got into the housing market uh, as soon as I could. Um, You know, the stereotypical thing that everyone does in Australia. How you were still single? It's a mystery, mate. It's a mystery. And then at what point did you think to yourself, do you know what? I'm going to start dabbling in a little bit of investing. Uh, So uh, after I bought my house, I had an offset account, which they all tell you to do. Uh, I think this was back when interest rates might've been about 4%. So um, I was throwing in kind of every spare dollar I could. Um, uh, Yeah, extra extra spare change where I could. And uh, I mean, 4%'s not bad. So I was kind of saving on interest, but I wasn't really making money. So uh, that's kind of where I started to get a bit more interested in where I can make my money work harder for me uh, than just an offset account. And that's kind of where I got interested in finance or investing, sorry. Then who did you turn to first for advice? Because I think that's the hardest part is uh, like for me, for example, I mean, I've only got, I've got you. You're, you're my the best, one mate. Point Come of, to the best. Yeah. <laughs> my one point of call of, of someone who knows what they're doing with investing. Who was that person for you? So I had a, one of my best mates at the time was a financial planner. So uh, I went to him and uh, they kind of talk you through kind of what your goals are and what you want to do. And uh, we set up a, a monthly investment into a, a diversified fund and that kind of uh, wet the whistle. And then I guess the more I kind of started just researching, uh, educating myself on what was what was around and what investing was, I, I think I just kind of yeah got bitten by the investment bug and then just started looking after more and more of my investments. And yeah, these days it's just all, uh, I do it all myself. And so when it came to your very first investment that you looked after yourself, do you remember what that was? Uh, yeah, it was a uh, an insurance company investment. What was it about them that that sparked your interest? So the share price dropped something like 20% on the day. And I just was like, well, hey, it's a good company. It's what I've heard of. The share price drops 20% a day. That has to be a good buy, right? Sure. I mean, you're asking the wrong guy, but I'm <laughs> going to say, yeah, like go all in. Yeah. 500 bucks, go, go thousands. This was right before the two biggest century floods that Brisbane has ever had. Maybe it was dropping 20% because everyone saw that coming, but I didn't. Well, then that could have been the perfect situation for you to turn your back on investing and go, do you know what? This isn't for me. I'm gonna, I'll put all that money back into the offset account. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I started with the smallest amount I could have. And then I think I kind of realized, you kind of realize what you don't know. So then I think I just persevered and then just tried to educate myself further as to kind of why, why the prices actually reflect kind of what's happening. Um, and the more I learned, I guess, the more I kind of succeeded. Uh, and then just kind of went from there. And then early on, what was your strategy? Because I know a lot of people talk about different types of investing strategy. What was yours? I just tried to find uh, what resonated with me in terms of what kind of investment style I had. Uh, so there's so many different strategies out there. There's so much um, complex ways to go about things. And I think I just tried to uh, learn a style of investing that that kind of complemented my personality and what resonated with me. Like beard cream? Is that something you're <laughs> investing in at the moment, Clancy? No, like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of little things like um, if you're an expert on oil and gas, then go for that. If you kind of know that industry or know what it is, I think you're going to have a probably a bit more of an understanding of what's actually occurring. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so I think it's being a bit more focused in your approach in terms of don't just try to know everything, Just just try to 
simplify things and find something that that you want to invest in and the investment style that works for you and then just kind of uh, follow that and then you'll have the confidence to keep on going. And so roughly how long have you been investing for now, Clancy? Uh, so pretty seriously, I think probably about four to five years. So not not a huge amount, but it's come a long way in a short amount of time, I think. And so early on when you first started, roughly like how much time were you investing in, into this? So it was probably just the odd podcast, audio book. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a lot really. And then if you think about what your your long-term goal is then with your investments, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, so uh, I mean, as I've gotten older, it's it's not just about buying the latest and greatest thing. I think that money just gives you freedom and freedom of choice and being able to do the things that you want to do with the people that you want to do them with. So, um, and it gives you time as well. So um, I'd love to retire as early as possible um, and just spend more time with people uh, that I love and doing the things that I like doing. And now to someone like myself, Clancy, where I, I'm very green in this space, what mistakes should I not make? Yeah, I think you have to not just listen to the hot tip or chase massive wins. Um, I think... Because is it, is it a bit like, um, do you hear rumors of, hey, uh, this thing's going to be hot. You got to jump on this right away. Yeah, absolutely. And I've done many of those. <laughs> and I, <laughs> how, did that, how did that work out for and you? This is the funny thing is like people to give you their hot tip and I think about 90% of them fail. And um, yeah, so... I mean, don't chase the the short-term gain. I think you've got to be in there for a bit of a long-term mentality. That's something that we see a lot of at the moment is people who have this amazing miracle story where they started investing and then a month later they've got like a million dollars return. Is that is that just fantasy or is, are you seeing that happening with your mates? I mean, there's people that win the lottery, but there's also a lot of people that don't, right? So... Uh, I think that, yeah, some people get lucky. Some people are very, very talented at a very early age, but I don't think that's the majority of people. I think uh, the majority of people um, will have uh, slower, longer-term gains, and I think it's just about compounding over the long term, and that's I think that's the important thing is to kind of start early, start small, build that compounding growth, and like you won't look back. Well, when it comes to deciding how much money you invest, how do you budget for that? I think I've got a pretty good handle of my finances and I kind of know how much I can save every month and I've got different saving strategies that I can invest a certain amount per month and I just kind of put that in and that's kind of how it goes. So with your investments, how do you know the right time to sell? Like, do you know if it'll be next week or the week after or in a couple of years? So I think with an investing mindset is you... I, I, you're happy to to buy and I wouldn't look at selling within say a year or two unless the company fundamentally changes or the world changes. So if you buy your particular share or your company or whatever you want to, you'd be happy to pretty much just not look at it for a minimum a year, minimum two years and then open back up because what happens in the meantime in the price doesn't actually change what's happening with the company. It's just the share price is just changing but the company actually isn't changing too much. It's a bit like buying house plants. I'll buy them and then I'll ignore them for about a year. <laughs> yeah, except <laughs> these plants will be worth more money and be alive. <gasps> Do you know what? I think investing is for me, Clancy. 
<laughs> That's perfect. Thank you so much, Clancy. Thanks, Matt. I don't know about you, but it feels pretty darn good to finally have an idea about how investing works. And it's only taken me <laughs> just 34 years, no rush. Now, even though I've learned a hell of a lot, it turns out this is just the tip of the iceberg. My plan on dropping all my savings in one investment and selling it the next week and retiring early requires just a little bit more strategy, which leads me to my next point. Here are the key things I've learned from today's episode. Before I make my first investment, I need to set a budget. These are always so important, it turns out. I need to identify my goals and set realistic timeframes to achieve these. And I need to understand my risk tolerance. Knowledge is key. I need to do thorough research on the industries and companies I want to invest in. And lastly, I'll start my investing journey now. Well, not right now, I'll do it after the episode, but... Time really does go so fast and in the blink of an eye, I'll know I'll be in my 40s. So now is a perfect time to start after I've been talking about it for so long. Well, that is it from me for today's episode. Before we go, I unfortunately have some bad news. Next week is going to be our final episode. And for that one, we are talking the dreaded topic of, yep, You guessed it. It's that thing you keep putting off. And when you finally get to 70, you're going to totally regret it. It's superannuation. But fear not, because I'm going to get to the bottom of what we can do right now to help us down the track. And I'm also going to introduce you to amazing people who are proof that life doesn't end at 65 just because you retire. Oh, and also just very quickly, as always, if you found this episode helpful or maybe you just liked hearing the sound of my voice, you can subscribe, review and share with a friend. Until next time, spend less and save more. And if you don't, well, we'll work on that next week. This podcast was produced on what always has been and always will be Gadigal Land. Listener.